Well, praise the Lord. You know, I was thinking this week, our study is in Psalm 46 this morning. There, there are times in our spiritual walk where we need to be challenged. We need to be confronted by God's word because there are changes that need to be made uh, in how we think and in how we live. And the Holy Spirit uh, often uses the Bible to speak to us about those specific changes. But there are also times when we just need to be refreshed and where we need God's word just to elevate our spirit and to strengthen us and to encourage us, where we hear awesome truths about the power of God and the presence of God and the, and the sufficiency and care of God, where the focus is not so much on we need to change this and we need to change that, but it's just on encouragement and comfort for our soul. And as I wrestled this week, and I really did, uh, we're in a series, but I did not feel led to do that this week and really spent a lot of time seeking the Lord and wasn't getting a lot of clarity. I just, I just knew that we needed that kind of a morning this morning where we're strengthened by the Holy Spirit and where we're filled with joy and filled with confidence uh, as we're reminded just how great our Lord is. Uh, in a couple of minutes, we'll look at uh, a, a warning that God gives us that will always threaten that. It will always threaten our strength and our joy and our confidence. Uh, because if we aren't careful, we can be very easily influenced away from these truths. But for the sake of this morning, uh, I want to make sure that we really take this in. That we really, uh, it's going to sound weird, but we really ingest it. The Bible says, hunger and thirst after righteousness. So there are times where we need to be fed and to ingest the word of God into our heart. Um, and, and we take it in and it and it just refreshes us. And, and that passage is here. So this morning, I would like this to be a feast. I would like us to, to take in these amazing words like this huge spiritual buffet that's laying out before us that will drive away fear and drive away anxiety and drive away all the undermining things that the devil wants to do. And he's been attacking. He's been on attack uh, on this church since we started. And he has constantly been pushing. And what that tells us is that we're doing the work of the Lord and we need to keep doing the work of the Lord. And now there's a fresh work of the Lord as he's put us in this location. And we shouldn't shy away from that. In fact, now we need to bear down and double down and work harder. Because God has a work he wants to do in our midst. And he wants uh, to be powerful in our midst. And he is powerful in our midst. He is going to keep moving us forward. And we need to keep praising him for his goodness. We need to keep working and serving him. But as we do that, there will be attempts to discourage us. And there will be attempts to, to create anxiety. It's been the kind of week I've had. A lot of... A lot of different stuff going on, difficult meetings and hard decisions. And then my car decided that it wanted to break down. And then my freezer stopped freezing. And then last night, the refrigerator stopped refrigerating. I think that's a verb. And then while we were gone overnight, the, the dog decided to get in on the act. And um, he left a couple presents in the house, which is not like him. You know, you just have those weeks sometimes, right? I don't mean to trivialize some of the real suffering that's going on. Those problems are small. But you have those weeks, right, where it's just like one thing after another and you just go, 
I'm just worn out. I'm just physically and emotionally and spiritually tired. But then you come to the Word of God. And that's why it's so important to study the Word of God, right? Because the Word of God picks you back up. And you can come back to that and say, look at these truths. And I can now say hallelujah anyway. That, that God has worked in our midst and continues to be faithful and gives us future promises that we can rely on. Well, that's this passage this morning. It gives us great strength and great security. So if you have your Bible, if you already probably turned there to Psalm 46, this is one of my favorite Psalms. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I just have to get back to the Psalms. Sometimes I just have to go there and find comfort and, and just just go through some of these raw questions that are asked. David and Asaph and others who wrote Psalms, Korah, they ask hard questions sometimes. And they get down into the uh, the real emotion, not Christianese, not, well, everything's great and I'm doing good and pray for me and I'm smiling, but inside I'm really hurting. Not, not that. We don't ever want to be that type of church, right? Where we just kind of put on a nice little face and everything's good, but we're not. That's not how the Bible's written. The Bible's written with raw emotion. And there are times where David says, where are you, God? Why aren't you here? I thought you were going to help me. And I, I, I think about David, even though we don't think he wrote this psalm, and I think about him, and, and there are probably few people in the Bible who experience more, more uh, difficulty and more personal rejection and more betrayal than David. Jesus certainly Apostle Paul maybe had a lot of people who turned on him at the end of his life. But but David really went through it. His father completely overlooked his potential. Didn't think that he would even be considered to be king because he was just a shepherd boy. He was just the young kid in the family. You know, nothing there to look at. Samuel, uh, just go find somebody else. I got some other sons. He overlooked him. And then his brothers resented him. And they mocked his faith and they uh, they couldn't believe that he had come down to be part of the battle and that he had this great passion to defend the Lord because they were walking with the Lord. And then Goliath cursed him and cursed God and, and, and treated him uh, like he was insignificant, ridiculed his presence. And then Saul underestimated him and, and pursued him later in life like a dog and tried to kill him. And then Amnon, his son, disgraced the family name by committing a sexual act with his daughter. And then Absalom, his other son, resented that, but they didn't have a good relationship, and he hated his father, and he tried to to rebel and take over the kingdom. And then Solomon, who was kind of the hope of the family, who was chosen to build the temple that David had hoped to build, at the end of his life, he turned on God. So David experienced a lot of personal rejection, and yet he was called a man after God's own heart, which means that being a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart doesn't necessarily mean that life's going to be easy, does it? In fact, it often means that it's going to be more difficult because the enemy hates people who have a heart for God. He hates people who love God. So he works hard against them, and he tries to to prevent that from taking hold, which is why being a disciple takes everything that we have. If we think we can be disciples and just give Jesus part, we're not worthy to be his disciples. He said, you got to give me everything. Your life is mine. I bought it. I own it. You've got to give me everything, not only a full commitment to model Christ, but a resilient, persistent faith that just continues to not be dissuaded 
by any difficulty. So while David probably did not write this song, uh, this psalm, he certainly could have. It tells us how and why we can trust the Lord completely and without hesitation because he is absolutely worthy of it. And because the presence of God and the power of God and the sufficiency of God and the provision of God, listen now, is without question and without fail. In your life, in my life, in this church, in the body of Christ, God's provision and power and presence and sufficiency is without question. How do we know that? Look at Psalm 34. Uh, Excuse me, Psalm 46. Sorry about that. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, or though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations make an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I'm God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now, verse 1 is a verse that we all should have memorized. Verse 1 is a powerful promise of God, of uh, just, just an amazing truth that God wants to show us. And it serves as a source of strength and comfort if you're struggling or you're dealing with some kind of crisis in your life or, or, or you're wrestling with fear. Look at the great truth that God gives us just in this one verse. We could just preach this verse and be done. We're not going to, but we could. God is our refuge. Great word. It means shelter and security. God is our shelter and he is our security against spiritual attack, against the wiles of the devil, against spiritual and personal difficulty. God is the place where we can find shelter and security. And then look at second, he's our strength, which means that we're not supposed to just hide. We're not supposed to just take refuge in God and say, well, I'm just going to sit here and kind of do nothing and withdraw. He says, I'm your refuge. I'm your place to, to be sheltered, but I'm also your strength. In other words, we are to confidently and powerfully move forward and be victorious because of his presence. When we need to come into the shelter like the harbor, we come in, we get refreshed, we get refilled. That's what Sunday morning does. We come in and we get kind of charged up again. We get to praise the Lord. We get to be in each other's presence. We get to call on the name of the Lord. We get to give and we get to study God's word. And then we go out and now the work is outside the harbor. Now we've got to go out and do the job that he's commissioned us to do. So we come in and we get the shelter and the strength. And then he says, now I'm going to be powerful for you. Now, when crisis comes and when the devil comes to try to hit you, third line, look at it. I will be your very present help in time of trouble. And the word very there, I never looked it up before. It means exceedingly. So his help is not only perfect in its timing. It's not only personal. But it is far more than we need. 
I experienced that yesterday in Sheboygan. I know, that's not a sentence I thought I'd ever utter. And I have to tell this one on myself because even though it is very embarrassing and I've never done anything like it in my whole life, it instantly reinforced this verse because I had been quoting verse 1 to myself. We were driving back from an overnight stay and I turned left at an intersection onto a major road and started up a long hill. But I kind of sensed that something wasn't right because the markings on the road seemed a little odd. And then I realized that there were two lanes on the other side of the median to my right. And we were driving along in our van with our family and, and I look up the hill and I see a pickup coming at me. And the pickup is moving right along and he doesn't seem to be noticing me. So I flashed my lights and I honked my horn and he kept coming. He, maybe he was texting or I don't know what he was doing, but he was slow to recognize me until he was about 50 yards away. And then he kind of veered around me. I didn't bother to look left to see the face that he was giving me. I thought, okay, that's good. And then I looked back up and then my problem wasn't done because now there were two cars coming at me in both lanes. So I honked. I didn't think to back up. I don't know what my problem was, but I honked and honked and flashed my lights. And then they kind of slowly went by me. Fortunately, there was a lot of traffic. So I did a beautiful three-point road turn. I'm so good at three-point road turns in the middle of major roads. And I turned around and we went down and then I took a U-turn and went up the right side of the road. And one of the kids, I don't remember which, said, we really could have been in trouble there, couldn't we? And I thought, you know what? We really could have. That could have been a fatal type of situation. If that pickup hadn't noticed me, I would have had to make a quick decision. Do I go left? I couldn't go across the median because it was covered in ice and snow. So the bailout area was not strong. God is our refuge and our strength. He's a very present help in times of trouble. I created the trouble. I took a wrong turn. But I put myself in a situation that was a problem. So because God is our refuge and strength, look at the next line. We will not fear. Now that is an intentional, purposeful decision on our part. We have to choose not to fear based on his provision. And his provision always comes first. God never says don't fear without showing us his provision. He always says, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I have done. Here's my promise. Now, based on that, do not fear. So the writer says, we will not fear. And it was interesting because I got in this situation and and I had been dealing with with anxiety this week, which is not typical for me. And the enemy had really been attacking my faith. And, and I heard God saying, you don't need to fear, so don't. Fear is a choice. And sometimes life is so difficult and so challenging and so hard that it feels natural to us. And we say, well, what about the circumstances? And what about the uncertainties? And what about the unsettledness in my emotions and, and the change that's going on in the world and all the other junk that's just got me stressed? Well, look at verses 2 and 3. Though the earth shall change, even when things are shifting, we will not fear. Though there's uncertainty and the ground is sliding underneath you situationally, we will not fear. Though there's a churning personally and emotionally, 
We will not fear. Though things can be unsettled, say it with me. We will not fear. God is not saying, hey, just try it and figure it out and try to try to get strong. He's saying, look, I'm your refuge and I'm your strength and I'm your very present help in time of trouble. And you don't need to fear because the presence of the Lord is so wonderful and it just calms our spirit. And that's in verse four. Describes a river whose streams make glad the city of God. We love to sing that song sometimes about this verse because it calls us to rejoice in the Lord always. Joy only comes from dwelling in the presence of God. Please hear that this morning. Joy only comes from dwelling in the presence of God. True joy, true spiritual joy, true satisfaction, true contentment does not come from possessions. It does not come from wealth. It does not come from relationships. It does not come from living in a place that actually has palm trees. It doesn't come from any of that. It comes from the presence of the Lord. David writes in Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me behind quiet waters and he restores my soul. In other words, where the Lord is, there is no unsettledness. That's why when we're in crisis, we're called to pray. Because when we're shaken, when we're, uh-oh, I'm anxious, I don't know what to do, this is awful, this is, a, God says, I will calm you and I'll restore you. I will strengthen you, I will help you. There are times where we just need to pray, Lord, deliver me. Deliver me of, of this stress and this, this difficulty and, and my fear and of the unknown. Lord, just deliver me. I, I had that happen a couple weeks ago where I was just anxious about something and I was just praying. I was, and I didn't know what to pray. I said, Lord, deliver me. Deliver me of this fear. Deliver me of this anxiety. And you know what? As I'm standing in front of you and I'm standing in the presence of God, I cannot lie at this point, I felt an instant overwhelming, visceral change in my attitude. Where God just said, I'm going to calm you and I'm going to restore your soul. Just relax. Just rest in me. That's what he's talking about here. And that's what the songwriters say. Look at verse 6. That the Lord has all power and all authority and all control. He's not intimidated this morning by the civil war in the Ukraine. He's not impressed by the spectacle of the Olympics. He's not worried this morning about Vladimir Putin or whoever is leading in Iran now or the problems in the Middle East. He's not stressed this morning. He's not sitting in heaven wringing his hands saying, what will I do? I don't know how to deal with this. The world wants to create chaos and the world wants to boast about itself. That's a page out of the enemy's playbook. He's always wanted to induce a constant unsettledness that tries to undercut our faith and our confidence in the Lord. So we have to counteract that by dwelling in God's strength and resisting the enemy's plans. Turn over for a second. I'll try to be brief here to Ephesians chapter 4. Keep your place here. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 because there's a verse we need to look at this morning that's just kind of been on my mind all week. 
And it really puts some important responsibility on us. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. And you know I don't usually just pull verses out of passages without giving you some context. But let me do it this morning. This is a passage about walking with the Lord uh, and about how we act and how we talk and how we behave. But there's one verse here, verse 27, uh, that I want us to notice. It says, do not give the devil an opportunity. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Now, the word there in the Greek language is the word place. Some of you, if you have a different translation, have the word do not give place to the enemy. The word place there means a a point that is marked off, like like a certain designation at a table. Now, if you were going to have a, a formal dinner tonight with white tablecloth and you were going to bring out the nice china and the silver and the crystal, does anybody have crystal anymore? Do people do that? But let's say you do. And you're going to lay out a nice, beautiful, clean white tablecloth and you're going to set it beautifully with with the china and the 19 forks on the left, which we, we none of us know what they do, and, and crystal. And you're going to put a fresh bouquet of flowers out and then you're going to make a beautiful filet mignon dinner. I'm hungry right now. You can tell with, with nice twice baked potatoes, maybe a little broccoli. Sounds good, doesn't it? Then a nice... New York cheesecake for dinner. Mm. And you're going to have a formal dinner in your house. It's going to be a beautiful experience. You going to invite a thief to that party? You going to invite a mass murderer to your formal dinner? Here's what he's talking about. He says there's no way you're going to invite someone like that to a place at the table that you've prepared. So how much more, Christian, should there be no association with the devil and sin? Don't give him a place. Don't set part of the table for him because all he wants to do is rob you. I was struck by this thought yesterday as I was praying that the enemy is a robber. He doesn't care about possessions. He wants to rob us of our joy and our faith and our hope, and our confidence, and our holiness, and our time, and our unity as a body. He wants to rob all of that. He wants to tear apart your marriage. He wants to divide you from your kids. And we sense that, and we feel that most of the time, but it becomes very subtle, and God says, you better be careful and not give him any place. Because if you set the table for him, and you give him something, he'll steal it. No placemat, no tablecloth, no dishes, no glasses. Now, what does that mean practically? Great thought, but what does it mean practically? Well, God is our refuge and our strength, and we're not supposed to to give the enemy any room, but he's going to keep attacking us and trying to undermine God's protection and our confidence in that because he's audacious. He doesn't care who he opposes because he thinks he's right. So the Bible says right here, don't give him any place. Don't give him any opportunity to get to you. How does that play out practically? Very basic right here. It means that we cannot choose to sin or walk in sin consistently. We cannot live like the world does. We cannot compromise our convictions. Why? 
because that gives him a place at the table. And he wants to hinder holiness and he wants to entice us to what is appealing to our senses now and not think about future desires. Second, it means that we can't allow worry and fear and anxiety to abide in our thinking because he always exploits that. And that will damage our faith. If we look back at Psalm 46, verses 1, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, they, they all say, listen, this is what God will do. We can't third give him a big place setting caused by stress. We get tired, we get run down, we get emotional, we get caught up in the little details of life. And when we allow those things to have a place at the table, it it causes us to make bad decisions and stop putting a priority on time with the Lord. So there's sin, there's worry, there's stress. Fourth, there can't be any room around the table for faith that is limited. For faith that is only based on circumstances that are visible. Or faith that is only based on things that benefit us. Our faith needs to be rugged. It needs to be brave. It needs to be dynamic. And it needs to be unwavering. Why? Because we trust the living God. We need a rugged faith. We need a bold faith. We need a dynamic faith. I need it as much as you need it. And you need it as much as I need it. Our faith needs to be so confident and unwavering in the Lord because he keeps leading us. And then fifth, we can't allow the robber to sit at the table. We have renounced our old life. We have rejected it. We have said, I don't want to be the old man anymore. I want to be the new man. And God, by his grace, changes us, transforms us, fills us with his own presence and says, you are sanctified. You have a new nature. Now live for me. Don't go back to that. That's a mess that will tear you apart. Live for me. I'll be your refuge and strength and I'll help you when you're in trouble. Now, that's important. Go back you're back at Psalm 46. That's important. Let me try to finish because there are times when life is unsettled and life is insecure. Not only based on our own personal circumstances, but in terms of all that's around us. Look back at verse 6, Psalm 46. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. Certainly the first part of that verse is visible to us this morning. So much turmoil going on in the world, so much conflict, it's disturbing. The volatility of wars, the the threat of terrorism, the global economy that's not strong. But even more so, we look at the dramatic changes that are taking place in our own country, which traditionally has been more stable politically and morally. And, and, And that's not true anymore. And the changes are happening so quickly and with such little resistance that it's easy to feel very troubled. But look at the Lord's response to all this nonsense. All he has to do is raise his voice and it all melts before him. Listen, if it wasn't so sobering for us at the moment, it would be absolutely laughable. And sometimes we do laugh at these politicians and these business leaders and these entertainment people who tell us how we should live our lives and they are full of hypocrisy 
and they think they're so powerful and they're so clever and now they're openly just dismissing God and the Bible with great eagerness and they think they're gaining traction. Well, I got news for them. The Lord spoke and the earth melted. They are so full of themselves and so proud and so arrogant and think we're finally going to win. And God says, listen, none of this is going to last. You build up all these little kingdoms here, all this power and this wealth and this fame and this popularity. Well, guess what? It's going to be exhausted. And one day all of you are going to bow your knees to me and declare me God. So let's not get so worked up. And it's hard not to, I know, but let's not get so worked up. By, by this, because God ultimately is going to win. And even when we feel so unsettled and our problems seem so profound, we've got to come back to the reality that God is in complete control. And that's, let's finish, that's what makes verse 7 so great. Oh, I love verse 7. Because even as the Lord of hosts, the one who has defeated sin completely and rules over all things, look at it, verse 7. Oh, this is a great truth for you and me this morning. Even as the Lord of hosts, he is with us. Oh, I don't know about you, but I needed that truth this week. And I need that truth in the week ahead. I can't think of a more wonderful, awesome, reassuring truth than that the Lord of hosts is with us. Listen now, don't be distracted. The Lord of hosts is with us, but then God says, let me add to that. Okay? That that would be so sufficient. But he says, I'm going to add one more thing to the spiritual buffet. I'm also your stronghold. Oh, that's a great word. You know what it means? It means a high place a secure retreat. In other words, he is our fortress in the mountains where we're protected from attack, where the enemy has no ability to infiltrate or create problems. So not only is he with us, but he secures us and he guards us even in the middle of conflict and stuff that should phase us and discourage us, but it doesn't because he is with us And he is our stronghold. Come on, isn't that a great truth this morning? Aren't you glad for that truth this morning? Whatever you face this week, whatever difficulty you have, whatever anxiety, whatever fear, whatever conflict is coming up. Listen, God says, I'm with you. You're my child. How would I ever take my eyes off of you? My daughter is not with us today. She's staying with friends uh, uh, up in northern Wisconsin. It's been so weird not having her there. It's like there's a void. Do you think God's going to go, well, Rhodes, that's fine. I'll take some time away from you and you just do your own thing and, and, and it's all right. I won't miss you. Are you kidding? You're my child. I'm your refuge. I'm your strength. I will be with you and I will guard you. So what do we do? Look at it quickly. We we can't just take. We got to give something back. Our faith and our obedience needs to be active. Two commands. Verse 8. Behold his works. What does that mean? Don't take his love and his provision for granted. Praise him. 
be constantly grateful for what he's done. David writes in Psalm 103, Praise the Lord and forget not all his benefits. He forgives your sin and heals your diseases and redeems you from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion and satisfies your desires with good things. Church, let's not forget all the Lord has done for us. Listen, where are we this morning? God has worked. God has been faithful. Now we need to eagerly commit ourselves for what he has next. And as that happens, second command, verse 10, cease striving. The one area where we will be vulnerable is if we now let self control our thinking. If it's about what we want or our comfort or our way, we will fail. If we get caught up in emotional turmoil and stress and worry and fear and we stop praying, we will lose strength. Know that He is God. Know that I am your refuge and your strength. Know that you will dwell in the place of the Most High and I will be with you and I will be your stronghold. Praise the Lord for what He has done. Praise the Lord for His promises and His faithfulness. Let's close our eyes. take a moment with the Lord right now I don't know what he said to you this morning I know he's been speaking to me all throughout this weekend maybe this morning you're gripped by worry and by fear it may be very very legitimate Or it may be something that you're preoccupied with that you are not submitting to the Lord. I don't know. I'm not trying to read your mind or judge anybody. I've got my own issues. God is your refuge and your strength. He is a very present help in time of trouble. I want to challenge you and encourage you. Be confident in that. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the armor of God against the devil who's going to try now to fight you. He's already defeated. He knows He is. He can read. This is a time for our faith to be bold and confident and strong. This is a time for us to cease striving. It's a time for us to remember His provision and to be strong in the Lord. God has given us a whole list of truth this morning, a whole list of promises. And He is calling us to be fully and wonderfully and confidently and joyfully dependent on Him. Father, we praise You and exalt You. You alone are worthy of our praise. You alone are worthy of our confidence. We praise you and magnify you this morning. We thank you that you are a refuge and strength. And Lord, if there's someone this morning that is hurting, that is struggling, that is fearful, I pray you would minister to their spirit. I pray you would strengthen them and help them. 
Lord, if there's someone in this room that does not know what it means to trust you, that does not know what it means to rest in the grace of God and to know that Christ died and rose again for their sins, I pray this morning your spirit would awaken their heart and they would commit themselves to you and turn from their sin. Lord, we praise you that you do this work so faithful, never failing us. Lord, you are so good. Strengthen us this week. Encourage our hearts. May we be confident in you. We thank you and praise you, Lord, and we love you so much. You have done so much, and we love you and are so grateful. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.